Welcome to the Primary Source Podcast. My name is Tom Bober, a school librarian in the suburbs of St. Louis, Missouri. This podcast is here to explore the uses of primary sources in K-12 libraries and classrooms. We'll dig into resources and teaching strategies, talk to educators who are utilizing primary sources, and supporters of educators who curate these incredible items and use them in their work. I was just looking back at the date of the last posted episode and realized that it actually had been longer than I thought, but I knew that I was taking kind of an extra long break this winter, and I decided to do that because I realized I needed to take care of some elements of my emotional health, my mental health, and I needed to let some things go just for a little bit. And so the podcast was going to be one of them. I was going to take an extra long break from the podcast just so I could take care of myself. And I want to just mention that with everything going on, if you are in schools, and for many of you who are not in schools, this is something that I hope you are giving yourself an opportunity to do as well if you can. If there's something that you can let go, letting go of it so you can tend to yourself and giving yourself a little bit of grace like I'm working to give myself a little bit of grace. That being said, I'm really happy to be back. I'm really happy to be sharing with all of you again. And both of the episodes that I'll be posting this month in January are ones that I recorded in 2021. And I want to apologize to the people who are on these episodes because I wish their messages were out there earlier. I wish they had been posted in December. And I also want to apologize to the audience because I wish that you could have had these great messages earlier. That being said, I think that both of them, looking forward, are going to be really great ways to start 2022. And I just had a chance to re-listen to this conversation that I'm going to be sharing with you all here in this episode. And this is with Rich Karen and Allison Noyes. They are two of the leaders that are spearheading work on a site called Emerging America. It's found at emergingamerica.org. And they're doing incredible work. I loved this conversation because not only are they sharing some incredible resources, some incredible primary source resources that can be used from elementary school to middle school to high school and beyond, but they're also sharing amazing ways that those resources can be used. And you can tell that Rich and Allison work with educators on a very regular basis because through this conversation, you're going to hear that they know how these resources work with students and how educators can best use these resources. It just comes across so very well. And it's one of the reasons that I'm so excited to share this conversation with you. I can't wait for you to listen to it. Let's go ahead and jump right in to this episode. One thing that I love that we get a chance to do here on the Primary Source Podcast is take a look at sites where people might not be looking for their primary sources. And, and one that came to my attention a little while ago, and it's one that I've been 
dabbling in. And I thought, I've got to let more people know about this. I'm sure we've got some of our listeners who do, but we need more, uh, is Emerging America. That's what we're going to talk about today with Rich Karen. He's our director of Emerging America. Allison Noyes is the assistant director of Emerging America. And we're going to talk about everything Emerging America today on the podcast. So Rich and Allison, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. So I want to just start off with Emerging America itself. You can find it at emergingamerica.org. We'll have that in the show notes. It has so many amazing resources within it. For the person who is just hearing about it for the first time, what's the elevator pitch? What is Emerging America? Yeah, great. Thanks. Um, And we're delighted to be here today. Emerging America came out of work with history and social science teachers and support for students with disabilities, English learners and other learners who need some extra support um, is really needed for history and social science because there's so much vocabulary, background knowledge, um, difficult concepts that we teach in history and social science. And uh, primary sources are just a great entry point for students of all interests and abilities. And uh, coming out of an organization that was founded to support uh, special education programs back in the 70s, it's just written into the DNA of what we do. So it's something that I've been doing since 2006 when I uh, first uh, created Emerging America. I can't believe, Rich, that it has been around for that long, and I have only known about it for the last couple of years. I feel like I'm behind the times, but hopefully we're showing this to more people who can jump on it as well. When the concept for Emerging America was forming, how did you decide to focus your attention on disability history, immigrant history, multilingual communities? Where did that come from? How did that piece of it all take shape? Allison, do you want to start us off? Sure. My my understanding of it is that as we were, I was not part of the program in 2006, um, but um, Emerging America focuses on the history of people with disabilities and the history of immigrant communities and bilingual communities, because as you're teaching methods for access, as you're thinking about using primary sources, you're always doing it with a content, with a particular primary source, with a particular purpose in a lesson. And one of the really important things for all learners is to see yourself in your curriculum some of the time and to see other people in the curriculum some of the time. And so to have our work for access for students with disabilities, anyone who struggles, English learners, be about the history of people with disabilities, include the history of um, people who are immigrants to the country, which is really central to American history and the American story. It's not a side note, it's often very critical part of the unfolding events that are part of what all teachers want to teach. So bringing the highlight to the history of the people with the disabilities and the people who are new immigrants to the country really fit the goal of engaging all students and the goal of increasing access in every way. Yeah, thanks. Uh, 
One of the things that I discovered um, when I first started working here, a colleague, um, Lori Block, who created the Disability History Museum, um, another great resource for people to, uh, to look up, um, is that disability history just has not been told explicitly. Um, we do teach disability history when you teach about um, you know, veterans of the, the Civil War or World War I or World War II, and you talk about the impacts on America, you know, you're talking about people with disabilities. Um, it comes up again, of course, in the civil rights movements of the 60s, 70s, 80s. But um, unfortunately, there's just very few resources for those who want to incorporate disability history into the curriculum. So in that area in particular, the portal on our site um, teaching uh, disability history through primary sources, um, that portal really is kind of the, the leading portal um, that anybody's put together for K-12 teachers on how to find primary sources how to find lesson plans and so forth. Um, and we're constantly adding to it um, as we find out about new things. This is where my first entry point was into Emerging America was into that portable portal looking at disability history. And it was because I had written one of these picture books and primary source blog posts that had um, focused on a person with a disability and actually American Disabilities Act. And Rich, you had sent me a, a kind email about that and pointed me towards emerging, emerging America. And oh my goodness, it was just this, like the floodgates have been opened as far as what type of resources were available. And you're so right when you talk about this idea, as far as just what I've seen of some of these histories not being explicitly and deliberately told even though we are hitting moments in history where they do work their way in. And you have me wondering what kind of resources are available for all of these different topics that, as Allison puts it, are focusing on people who maybe are not always seen or maybe not always having a voice. And, and for my friends who are library listeners to this podcast, they're going to be thinking of windows and mirrors and sliding glass doors, that analogy that is used so often in children's literature, I see some of those same elements coming into place so clearly with the resources that you're talking about, where students who are using these can see themselves, but students who maybe don't fit into these categories can start to have a better understanding of others around them, which is right, also right. so critical. Yeah, one of my uh, favorite uh, sources is um, uh, there's a number of films from Thomas Edison from around the, the turn of the 20th century, 1900 thereabouts. And uh, there's a, a film, my, my supposition is that Edison wanted to like show a landscape and he thought, well, where am I going to do that? Well, I'm going to load a camera because there were big things back then. I'm going to load it on a boat and I'm going to 
go on a river, down river past something. What's interesting? He said, I know, I'll do Blackwell's Island, which today is called Roosevelt Island in New York City. And at the top end of the island, you start out and the state uh, or the New York City asylum is there. And then the workhouse and then uh, the state prison and then a hospital. Um, and so one of the things I'll do with teachers is I'll show this silent film. It lasts about two minutes and um, the teachers get a chance to understand, wow, they put all these different places on an island. Why did they put them on all, all on an island? Um, they're these humongous buildings. Why were they so big? Why is there nobody on the grounds? Well, everybody's locked inside. Um, and so I love this primary source because in two short minutes, it just immerses teachers in a whole world that they might not have seen otherwise. And of course, then when they're working with their students, they can do the same thing and, and bring it to them. So primary sources are such a great inclusion tool because um, you can find primary sources written at all different levels. You can find visuals, you can find film, you can find uh, oral histories, you can find sound files, songs, um, sheet music. That variety gives access points for students with all different uh, cognitive and sensory abilities, um, students who um, don't uh, speak English or learning English. Um, it's just, it's like a Swiss army knife of a tool for teachers who are trying to find access points to content. Yeah, you really can differentiate based off of where your student is coming from and, and maybe what needs they have as far as where that entry point comes in. So when you're talking about English language learners, um, looking at something that's more visual possibly might be uh, or being more selective with the text that you're choosing might be a choice that a teacher makes. And one thing that I heard you mention in your example of how you use this, Rich, is that the people you use this with, it ends up getting them to ask questions. And I think that that yep. is really the powerful, yep. one of the other powerful parts for me when bringing primary sources into an educational setting. Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, you know, generating questions is really kind of the whole point <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Because what we want is we want the students to ask their questions wherever they're coming from. It's true. When you come onto our website, in fact, the place where we guide teachers and librarians and anyone interested in this is called accessing inquiry through primary sources. It's the accessing inquiry portal and inquiry and asking questions is really the key. And we talk about accessing inquiry in a double meaning because um, inquiry is an amazing tool for access um, and for making um, students from any group of strengths um, uh, ask questions. And that really brings out the best I think in the students. One other thing to know about the primary sources on our website is that many, um, not all, but many, many of them have been assembled um, by teachers who are thinking about how to make a particular topic engaging for students. 
and they have particularly reached for a set of sources that might include a picture book, might also include some of the primary documents that are referenced in that picture book, might include a video of an old movie um, as Rich has described or a song or recording lots of resources from the primary, the Library of Congress. Um, but each of these lessons that we share have really gathered a group of primary sources designed to engage students at different levels. And I think that is a wonderful resource for other teachers or librarians in many ways it is what a librarian would do um, in amplifying and creating a resource um, for a particular topic. And so we really um, encourage the use of a single engaging primary source and then pairing it um, as well with other sources that give context, give meaning, give a different hook for someone else to enter the same topic. I love this idea that you have other, this pairing idea, right? I think it's so important when we are using primary sources because I, I think a great primary source doesn't give the whole picture. It's going, because if you, if it gave the whole picture, there'd be no reason to ask the questions, right? That we all know are so important right. that bring kids in that are part of the engagement. And so bringing in uh, secondary sources, other primary sources to really fill out that whole experience that the student is having with that initial item makes the learning experience. And sometimes that's easy because you can kind of anticipate where things are going. I think sometimes it can be challenging because sometimes since we are encouraging students to ask their own questions, sometimes that goes into a direction that we don't always anticipate. And that can be fun that's, too, that's, I think. Yeah, that's true. I, there's an image that comes to mind as you uh, describe that, that we often show because it is a story of people with disabilities and it's a story of immigration and it's a it's a image from ellis island where you can see people in line between chain metal um, guide gates um, and there are inspectors um, peering into their eyes um, and it's a very interesting image and when Rich or I show it to a group of teachers we often show them the image first with no explanatory information and generate um, guesses and thoughts about it observations with close observation first what do you observe then what kinds of things do you connect to it and, and lastly, what kinds of questions do you have as you look at the photo? Um, and that image is really powerful. And then layering on, okay, now if you have more information about that, let's provide the image that, that went with the photo. What's the formal title, the date, the information, um, and then we will often pair it with the, um, the text of the act that, um, that limited immigration and uh, pri provide that primary source. When we provide a, a text primary source, we will often choose an excerpt and show teachers how you can narrow in on a small piece of a complex 
legalistic document to really give everybody in the class a vivid sense of what, um, what was being said or done um, at the time and give people a chance to reflect, um, question, argue, um, and we'll take an excerpt from a larger document which gives people an invitation to explore and stretch their abilities to take on difficult language. I think that, I, I love that you're sharing all of these great pedagogical approaches, right? How do I actually utilize these primary sources? And it's one thing that I think that you've done such a really nice job with in the site as well, is that there's a real goal to help educators on this site use the primary sources effectively, even if they're not in direct contact with, with, with you, Rich, or with you, Allison. Can you speak to a little bit about, about that and, and also about who are your, who's your audience for Emerging America? I mean, it seems like it could be everybody, obviously, right? But, but kind of when you're creating these, these sets of primary sources, when you're creating these materials that are supporting the use of those sets, who's, the, who are the people that you have in mind? So our core audience is uh, history and social science teachers. And partly that's because it's a group that just has not gotten as much professional development and as much guidance about how to work with special education students and other students with disabilities in their classrooms. They often get overlooked for the, the training on how to work with uh, English learners and so forth. So um, in addition to the primary sources and a number of lesson plans, um, teacher-generated lesson plans, we also offer an introduction to Universal Design for Learning, um, UDL, um, which is a sort of core strategy for thinking about how to make the curriculum as inclusive as possible, as accessible as possible. And um, then we also offer uh, I don't even know how many at this point, it's probably in approaching 100 or so different tools and strategies. Um, we've got one page that's just inquiry. Um, and that page is just all about different strategies. So for example, um, the photo of Ellis Island, one of the things that I love to do with it is to have students um, create sticky notes where they write uh, a uh, thought bubble, like, okay, this guy who's poking his fingers in people's eyes, what's he thinking while he's doing that? And they go right up on the screen if it's in person or we do it um, online in the chat. Um, and they say, what, you know, what's, what's the thought bubble? What is this person thinking who's waiting in line? What's this guard thinking? Um, and, um, and it's not incidental because if the, if the guard is thinking, God, I hate my job, which is a common thing that people <laughs> will use as a thought bubble. I'm like, who wants to stick their finger in people's eyes all day? It's like, well, okay, if he's also the guy who's making the decision about whether people have the mental health to come into the country or not, if he's in a bad mood all day long, that's not good for you if you're waiting in line and you're anxious. And so um, that has been part of the conversation often when we use, uh, when we use that source. And one of the things that I'm, I'm really proud of about this site is that the lesson plans, almost all the lesson plans 
to date and primary source sets to date were generated by teachers through one of our classes. We've had almost 700 teachers complete a graduate level course called Accessing Inquiry for Students with Disabilities Through Primary Sources, a parallel course, um, Accessing Inquiry for English Learners Through Primary Sources. And so the core assignment for the course is to develop a lesson plan with a robust text set. And um, so we, I, I'm, I'm not ashamed to say that, <laughs> that we're piggybacking on a lot of excellent research by some very inspired and talented teachers uh, over the many years. I think that, well, first of all, I appreciate you putting the, the nod out to all these other people that are, are influencing your work. I think that that's important to do. I think the other thing that I love that you said, Rich, is this idea that we, that it's okay to give permission to students to, and encourage students to use their own understanding of the world and of individuals to make educated guesses about what is actually happening around these historical items and these historical moments, most importantly. I think the other piece to pair with what Allison was saying earlier that, that makes so much sense when you do that is that if you initially look at this photo that we're using as an example of the guard putting the, the, the finger in the eye, that initially there might be one thought bubble that comes out, but the more additional sources that you look at, I would imagine if you come and revisit that idea of, well, let's revisit what, what's this person thinking, either right. that might change or it becomes more sophisticated. And so we really start to look at how do people think historically when they're informing themselves about an event? How does, how does that alter their perception of that event itself? And so as opposed to what I see sometimes some educators doing, which is being almost scared to make educated guesses around this, we are only going to stick to exactly what we know, that we can do that in a very deliberate way. We can invite students to connect with those items, connect their own lives with those items, their own understanding of the world with those items in very purposeful and, and historically appropriate ways. I think there's something really powerful about asking students to bring their own guesses. And um, we have a question that we love after someone makes a guess or makes a statement, which is what makes you say that? And when you say, what makes you say that? That's an invitation for students to look closer at the details or think about what the supporting evidence is um, that they're relying on when they, when they make a statement, when they make a guess. And then that leads to the question of how could we find out more about that? How could we, does that, how does that fit with other things we know? And um, in some cases, that's a question you ask when the guess is off. Um, um, in the Edison film that Rich described so vividly, teachers in the room, when we use that film, make all sorts of guesses, some of which are um, not really the answer, but the point is not to get the right answer. The point is at that point to show teachers, what are you noticing? People say, well, I think it's this because I noticed the smokestacks. And so I think this is um, a factory for making something. But those kinds of activities where you're encouraging students 
to look, to make, um, to use their minds and their own knowledge and, and showing how you put those together, whether that's exactly right for the particular historical moment or not, really what we want students to come away with is the sense that they can make sense of things and how to find out more, how to support their ideas um, and explore their ideas and deepen them. Um, and that's what they'll remember. Well, this time has been incredible with both of you and I wanna thank you for, for joining me. I also wanna take your words, Allison. I wanna encourage everyone else to look at Emerging America if they haven't already, because there's so much there, as one of you put earlier, that is so central to American history. So many amazing resources, not only the actual resources you're going to put in front of your students, but the resources that you're going to utilize to help students interact with those historical items. It is just kind of has it all in this beautiful package. Uh, Emerging America, must check it out at emergingamerica.org. You will not be disappointed. I guarantee you that you will find something that is going to connect with some element that you're already teaching. I was amazed at what I was able to find for my elementary students, but as I was looking through it, I was seeing things that I knew middle school teachers, high school teachers, and librarians would love to have their hands on and bring to their students. I'm gonna have all of the great links and entry points that you shared today, including some of your favorite primary sources that you mentioned in the show notes. Rich Karen, Allison Noyes, thank you so much today for joining us and telling us about Emerging America on the Primary Source Podcast. Thank you, Tom. Thank you so much.